As we come to sermon time for the last few weeks and off and on since the rhythm of May has been a little bit uh, different with children's worship and youth worship. But for the last few weeks we have had a theme of kind of generosity, a lens of generosity through which we've looked at the scripture. And officially speaking, this Sunday is the last kind of week that we look straight through scripture with that lens of generosity. Today I think what we see is generosity in salvation. But I believe generosity is always present in the scripture. God's generosity is always there and we're always called to embody that generosity also. So we don't necessarily leave it behind after today. We just may not put it front and center. But today, as the season of Easter continues to unfold, we see God's generosity in salvation. The story comes from Acts chapter 11, and we'll read verses 1 through 18 as Peter talks to the church at Jerusalem. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, I was praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it, I closely saw four hoofed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord. For nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and then everything was pulled up again into heaven. And at the very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived to the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and to not make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered a man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel standing in the house saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is also called Peter, and he will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let's start the sermon somewhere else, somewhere far, far away from Jerusalem or Joppa. Let's start with Durham and Duke basketball tickets. They're hard to come by. I don't know if you've noticed that. For most of you, you don't care because you don't want to spend time going to a Duke basketball game anyway. But for some, for a few, going to see Duke is special. And, and, and for an even smaller select few, there's a loophole that some folks can get through. I'll explain. Duke, most of the people you see on TV at those basketball games have tickets. Even the students have had a ticket of some kind that got them into the game. But Duke doesn't give away as many tickets to the games as they have seats in the stadium. So for a select few folks who have student IDs but don't have tickets, there's a loophole called the walk-up line. Now, no one is so silly as to go into the walk-up line for, say, a Duke-Carolina game or these days a Duke-Virginia game. But for most other games, if you get to the walk-up line a little bit before the game starts, about ten minutes before tip-off, they start to let people in to fill in the empty seats. This line is metered. And as you stand in it, about ten or fifteen people at a time get get let in and get shown to a spot where there's some open places where you can sit and watch and experience this. I've been in the walk-up line a handful of times, and every time it was a nerve-wrackingly anxious experience because I wondered, as I clutched my ID, am I going to make it in? Is there going to be room in there for me? Surely there's enough room for all these people and me and at least that person right there. And each time there was. The last time I went in, I thought we were going to get cut off. And then like 50 people got let in after me also. Every time it worked out. But that didn't stop me from being anxious. That didn't stop me from having a a fear of missing out or FOMO, as the kids are saying these days. A fear that, that there is something exclusive that I might not get to be a part of. No, I suspect that most of you haven't had that feeling about Duke basketball, but maybe somewhere in your life you have felt some anxiety about exclusivity, wondering, am I going to be let in? Am I going to get the chance? Will it work out for us? It's a crazy part about our world, even though there is so much abundance. uh, Demand exceeding supply is usually good for business. In many cases, people can make money or or build notoriety by, by being exclusive. Exclusivity can help someone become a part of the in crowd or the with it crowd. And this is to be lauded culturally. And I think in a small way, that which we deal with culturally is similar to that which the Jews in Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, were dealing with as the word of God was going out into the world. 
I think the religious leaders had operated with an exclusivity about their faith. Even in Jesus' time. Oh, they heard what he had said. They remembered the promises. They knew that God so loved the world. And that they were to go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them. But even here, 11 chapters into the book of Acts, as the church has been growing and expanding and reaching all kinds of people, there's an air of exclusivity at the church in Jerusalem. Surely not them. They can't be saved. Peter, why were you eating with them? But what we see in the gospel over and over and over again, it started at the beginning and it continues now. And as you keep turning the pages over and over and then turning over the pages of history and time, what we see is that God's love and generosity is so great that it reaches all the way to salvation for anyone and everyone who will believe. Now as you turn into the book of Acts, back at the first chapter, the disciples get this word from Jesus as he's ascending into heaven. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the the guiding star of the book of Acts. Everything that comes afterwards in Acts is a fulfillment of that promise. You are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Beyond where the Jews were living, near the promised land. Beyond where the Jews were living in diaspora somewhere in the empire. Beyond the edges of the world, the guiding star of Acts calls the disciples to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Acts 2 then, on the celebration of Pentecost, the tongues of fire came down and everybody heard the gospel in their own language. Reminding the people that yes, God was going to bring his love to everyone in ways they could understand it. And then there was this pattern of proclamation and reception to the gospel and fulfillment of Jesus as the, as, as the one who fulfills and abolishes the law all throughout the early part of Acts. And as you read through the stories one by one by one, you see that the opening of this message to, to everyone, the way that the gospel expands is good news for everyone. And then Peter comes back to Jerusalem. And he meets a bunch of folks kind of seated like this. Why did you eat with them? News had spread about the good things that had been happening, but the church in Jerusalem wasn't quite ready for it. The people of God who knew God as their God, well, they were kind of like, well, hold up here. What is this you were doing? How is it that God was working? They had so bound themselves to the traditional means by which God was working that a eunuch being baptized in Acts 8 or a Roman centurion in Acts 10 receiving the gospel was 
all, it was kind of beyond their initial ability to comprehend anything, any and all of it. Even in Acts 8, Stephen, the apostle, the recently elected deacon, was, well, he was crucified because he was helping the gospel to spread beyond where it was it had initially been. To the establishment, God loved, God's love was for them. To the people in Jerusalem, God was to, to help them keep their rules in order. They understood God to be a, a ticket taker in a small arena, and the religious leaders mandated which ones could get in in the spiritual walk-up line. And the ones who got in played by their rules. Or so they thought. So they exuded as they sat there, arms crossed, criticizing Lee in that room that day. The exclusive crowd sought to keep hold of their knowledge and their power of God and withhold where the grace of God could really be at work until Peter speaks. He tells the story of what the Spirit of God had done and his testimony lends power to the movement of the Spirit of God through the love of Christ. Peter describes firsthand what the Spirit was doing and according to God's Spirit, salvation was a result of God's generosity and generous love Salvation was no longer exclusive. Salvation became the more the merrier. The Spirit was at work through all of the earth, not just through those Jews in Jerusalem. And the message resonates. It's well received. After this speech, the church accepts that God is going to reach beyond their imagination. The Spirit is going to reach into some surprising places, to places that they thought were unreachable. And some who may not otherwise, without the work of the Spirit, some who would have been forgotten and doomed, are not. Thanks be to God, the Spirit moves and reaches beyond the limited point of view of that one group of folks in Jerusalem. Thanks be to God that there's room for everyone and thanks be to God that it's the movement of God's Spirit which determines who receives the good news and it's not just you and me who determine who receives the good news. Now we know this in our heads but do we feel it in our hearts? It really actually is a question that pushes us to ask what do we believe about God? Do we believe that salvation is for all? Do we believe that a generous salvation happens on God's terms rather than your terms and mine? Do we believe that God is generous enough to save the world, even those we're not so sure about? Acts 11 affirms that radical expansion of the good news. Acts 11 affirms that God is not limited or exclusive, but reaches beyond peoples and groups and borders that we have set up. Acts 11 affirms that God's love is even for people that some might not consider capable of receiving God's love and grace. 
And Acts 11 affirms that the salvation of God is abundant and generous and not limited or scarce. It reaches everyone, not just some. It's a reality that is for the world. And it fulfills tangibly the reality that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes can have everlasting life. Anyone and everyone who believes. And this is good news. And the only way this is hard news is when we allow exclusivity and a mindset of scarcity that is pervasive in many other areas of our life to shape our view of salvation. If there's not enough elsewhere, is it possible that there's not enough room for all to be saved? Do we believe that God is different than Duke basketball tickets? I hope we do. Do we believe that God beckons us forward to reach out? I think we do. Do we believe that God so loved the world that whoever will may come? I hope we do. And in Acts 11, when the Jews of Jerusalem see that God has reached the Gentiles, they celebrate, which means even you and me can be brought in. And also, you and me must celebrate. Back in the 90s, Nike had an interesting advertising campaign to promote running and running products. There were these provocative black and white photos. Well, they're actually just black and white photos with provocative sayings underneath them. I was a 16-year-old high school runner in Texas. And I don't know what you know about Texas high schools, but you probably can suspect that runners are not as cool as football players. No matter how bad your football team is. And ours was not that great. So as runners, we sought ways to feel included. To feel affirmed in what it was we did. And this one Nike advertising campaign made it to my bedroom wall. It said, there are clubs you can't belong to, neighborhoods you can't live in, schools you might not get into, but the roads are always open. It was sort of a mantra for our cross-country team that took two big school buses full of kids to every cross-country meet and cheered on every kid as he kept running, and she kept running, even if it took them a half an hour to finish the three miles. The ad spoke to us as a cross-country team because we were different than the football team. We weren't exclusive. We tried to be inclusive. And the ad hopefully speaks to faith in the church because there are people in life that may want to be left out or Places that people may get left out. There might be events and activities you can't go to. There may be things in life you are unable to do, but the love of God is open and free for you to receive, no matter who you are. Free for us to give, no matter who's willing to receive it. This is what Acts 11 affirms. Compared to the Judaism that led up to Acts 11, The generosity that leads to salvation is the work of God. 
Because now the faith is open. Now the Gentiles are welcome. Now the good news reaches beyond Jerusalem and Judea into Samaria, even Samaria, and all the way out to the ends of the earth. And this is good news. This is how God's generosity works. And this is a faithful expression of who God is and what God does. God loves us all. God welcomes us all in. And God pushes us to be open and welcoming and forgiving and willing to reach beyond what we thought was possible for ourselves and for our faith. If we're brave enough to believe it and to believe that God is no longer exclusive. And so today, I hope we see God's generosity, especially as it relates to salvation. I hope we see a call to embody a generous spirit. And I hope we see a call to be generous and loving, to embrace those who God would embrace, and to see few, if any, limits upon who God calls us to embrace. May we be transformed like the church in Jerusalem was transformed on this day. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day that we have. We give you thanks that your salvation includes even us. Us who, by the strictest of definitions, way back when, would not have been included. And so, Lord, we pray as recipients, gracious recipients of your love and grace and salvation, we ask you to to help us to embody that so that those who need your love and your grace and your salvation might experience it also. Help us to be instruments of your peace and your joy. Help us to be the embodiment of love which reaches beyond where we thought was possible and beyond where we maybe ever expected. Thank you, Lord, for hearing these prayers and thank you, Lord, for helping us to fulfill them. It is in your name that we offer them today. Amen.